Hey, it's Eric G. Around the House is sponsored by Baldwin Hardware. For 75 years, Baldwin Hardware has been known for its first-class quality and craftsmanship in door and cabinetry hardware. As an alumnus of the Baldwin Hardware Design Council, I can say I have seen the details and quality from design to the finished product. If you're looking for a new style and old-world craftsmanship, I can tell you there is only one Baldwin Hardware. Check out what would look great in your home at baldwinhardware.com. It's around the house. And then of course, the last one is the finish they put on there. The cheaper toilets have uh, much more of a, a coarser finish on the porcelain, where even the, the, you get up into the Totos and some of those other ones like that, they have a micro glaze over the top of it that makes it so you don't have to worry about cleaning it as much. So literally you can go hit it once a month, every two months with a toilet brush, because the glaze system on there is meant to be a non-stick surface. So when it comes down to it, you know, if you were to go buy a, a $100 toilet and you were to go buy a $260 Toto and put them next to each other, that Toto is going to save you money in the long run. When it comes to remodeling and renovating your home, there is a lot to know, but we've got you covered. This is Around the House. Welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining me today. Hope everybody's having a great weekend. Thanks for tuning in. Well, today, I wanted to talk about my bathroom remodeling secrets. These are the things that if you're going to go do your own bathroom remodel, even if you're hiring a contractor, these are my tips and tricks for you to plan ahead and make sure that you get this thing done right. And these are the things that I hope uh, can help save you some money as well, because there's so many different things in a bathroom that uh, if you get things out of order, can cost you a ton of money when you're trying to plan this stuff out. So something to consider. So first guys, I wanted to talk about one of the biggest things when you're talking about bathroom modeling, and that is like we were talking about planning, making sure that you've got that design and really all the rough utilities going in that you need. And you're like, oh, what are you talking about? I'm just, you're gonna update my bathroom and remove it and replace it. And what else do I need? Well, here's the thing that, that makes it interesting. If you're going to be changing from like a bathtub and going to a shower only, for instance. You know, a bathtub drain is inch and a half. Shower drain is two, so you want to make sure that you've got plenty there to change that drain out to two inch, so you're you're good there. And I heard something about building code going to be changing for that, uh, that you can do inch and a half, but, uh, you know, having two is a good way to go, so it's always about two and a right. And if you exceed building code, even better. So having that two inch is kind of nice to have for flow and not having things get... Uh, you know, jammed up down the road. Now, the utilities that I'm talking about, though, is making sure that you have enough power and circuits in there. Because so many times, you know, especially if something that was built in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, and even 90s, maybe you just have one 110 outlet in there, and maybe you've got two sinks. So something to think about. So here are all the things that you might need additional power for in that bathroom. It could be that you've got a uh, smart toilet going in there, so you need to have that outlet with the GFCI that's down there next to the toilet. Now, if you're going to put in heated floor system, you'll probably need a dedicated 110 circuit for that. If you're putting in a steam shower system, that can use um, one or two dedicated circuits and one for a steam generator. So you might have to put in you know, an additional 50 amps worth of power into that for a steam shower system. 
So it could be even more. Sometimes I've seen them, depending on the system, that you need two dedicated 110 20-amp circuits. And then you need one for the steam generator, which is usually a 30 or 40, depending on the size, amp circuit 220 for that. So that can be very significant. So something to really pay attention to with that. So make sure you've got that. And uh, if you're going to do a um, like an Armada system, which we'll talk about later, which is one of the drying systems, that's going to need its own. As well as if you're thinking about putting in a uh, heated towel rack, which is important as well. So think about that heated towel rack. So really, if you had a smart toilet, heated floors, you could add three, four, even five dedicated circuits to this if it was a larger bathroom. So these are things to think about because you want to do this while it's torn up, not come back and go, oh, I want to add this later. Give yourself the option. I always say when you're doing that toilet, when you're putting in the, you know, doing the electrical in there, make sure you add that outlet behind the toilet. So down the road, if you ever need it, uh, or if you ever want to add it, it's very simple. So you can just plug it in and it's just an outlet. So if it's hiding down there next to the toilet, it's not a big deal. But um, that is some added value while you're doing it. So even if you're not planning on doing it, take a minute, add the, add the outlet over there. It can work really well for you. And then, like I said, if you've got two different bathroom vanities, you know, so if you've got a, you know, a master bathroom or a hall bathroom that has two sinks, make sure you've got outlets on either side of that. That way you can add that in there. And uh, it just makes it so much better. And especially if you've got like a, a uh, main bathroom and you got kids sharing that same bathroom, having two sets of outlets is really handy, especially these days with, you know, electric toothbrushes and things like that. The last thing you want to do is to have a uh, some kind of a power strip in a bathroom. So you want to make sure that you've got that dialed in. So that's something to think about. And, you know, the heated tile floor is something to plan on. I mean, if you've got a space that's already cold because maybe they didn't put an outlet in there for your HVAC system, having that in there is really handy. So uh, heated tile floor is one of those things that if you want to have that comfy warm spot in that bathroom and you want to help dry it out because that will help dry it out, that's a good way to go. So just think about those things. And it's really not that expensive once you get the power to it. The, the tile system is really you know, materials wise, on average, under a grand to do that. So uh, it's pretty quick and easy once you're doing it, but you just need to plan ahead for that power. So make sure you got that dialed in. And then the other thing is here is when you're going through and designing for this, um, really, I want you to let's talk about ventilation for a minute, because this is a big thing. And this is something that, again, getting into that, really getting into this materials list here of what you need to be thinking about. Ventilation is key for a bathroom. So I want to see a high CFM, like 120 CFM and up in that bathroom, especially if you've got a shower or bathtub in there. And then making sure that you've got what I call makeup air uh, for that. So if you have a 120 CFM fan going and you have just a little tiny half inch gap underneath the bathroom door, you're probably going to want to cut that bathroom door down a little bit to let more air in there. And here's what happens too, and this is something to consider, and this is something I'm going to do in my house. I just haven't done it yet because I haven't gone back in that room to, to do a few more little things with it. But one of the big things that you can do while you're doing this is to add in a makeup air pulling out of another bedroom or another space or another closet or something like that, grabbing air into that space. Because one of the things that I noticed when I was working on uh, the bathroom after I got mine down with my big CFM fan, if I have a heated tile floor, tile floor I get air coming underneath the doorway. And so the first 24 inches by that space gets cool because it's the air is going over and it's cooling the floor right there. So if you can add another space closer over the shower to get some cross ventilation, so you're pulling air 
out of the shower from the one side of the bathroom over there, you get a nice cross flow ventilation. And by doing that, that really helps move out the uh, moisture in the space. So really plan for that. And of course, that vent has to go all the way to the outside of the building. So through the attic space, out through the roof, out through a soffit, out through a wall, wherever it's going to go, it just needs to exit all the way out of the building. And in my area, we always insulate those because the last thing I want to do is have hot, moist air collecting in a cold metal duct. And uh, if that's going outside, guess what happens? Uh, you can get water collecting in there and that can rust that out or it can leak back and drip on the floor. So make sure that you've got the right amount of ducting and, of course, the right amount of insulated duct so you don't have to worry about that when it's going through an unconditioned space. And that's really for us people out in the northern uh, climates. But you know something? If you've got a cool attic space and you've got hot, moist air like you were in Florida, that can also create a similar issue. Uh, just because it's just like that summertime, uh, you know, glass of lemonade on the table. It's going to, you know, shed water off the outside and grab that out of the relative humidity. So making sure you've got that is big. And then, of course, uh, most building code requires it, but having a, temper, a timer that will run for at least 20 minutes, guys. If that 20 minutes will help move that out. And then uh, we'll talk about this later. We talked about it here, but uh, having a system to air dry that shower, the air modest system is my favorite. And uh, if you're tired of squeegeeing, this is the time for plan for that, because uh, that way, you'd, if you want to keep the shower cleaner, that is an easy way to do it. And the nice thing is, is you don't have to have that squeegee in the shower to uh, clean off that glass. And uh, that's a big one right there. Now, when we come back, there is one thing that I want you to um, want you to think about here. It's kind of a really big deal. And I think this is one of those things that uh, before you start the bathroom model, I want you to really focus on this one because I think this is really important and it's going to save the projects that you did early on and I don't want to see you have it get ruined. So when we come back, we're going to talk about that because this is one of those things that can destroy the project afterwards if you don't do it right first. We'll do that just as soon as Around the House returns. This is where we hope to get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining me today. We've been talking around, uh, well, my bathroom remodeling secrets to help save you money and keep that plan going because uh, this is one of those things that uh, I want this to be really that quintessential help for you to get this project knocked out, whether you're hiring it or, uh, you know, maybe you're going to tackle it yourself or you've got your favorite contractor coming to do it. All these rules still apply. Well, we were talking about bathroom ventilation in the last segment and, of course, all the utilities that need to go into a project like this. But really, one of the things here that I really want to think about when we're thinking about all this stuff is just where it's going to be in five to 10 years, for instance. So one of the things if you've got kids that I see is a big mistake when going through the thought process is I've had people say, hey, I'm going to take this uh, this bathroom and design it for my kids today. And, you know, they're five and seven, and I want lower vanities and all that stuff. And although that is okay, you just need to remember that um, if you design it for smaller children, 
for a handful of years, they're smaller children, and then forever, they're going to be older. So the problem is, is you're designing very much on the short-sighted for a two to four-year cycle versus how it's going to be in five to 10 years. So really think ahead about uh, you know where you're going to be 10 years from now. Because if you design this bathroom correctly, you can get decades out of this out of this system if you've done it and designed it right. So you really want to think about, okay, can I make this last for 20 years? If I think about what the kids are doing in five, that's just a short-term part of that. And the last thing I want you to do is have to go back in five years and go, well, time to do another big remodel because bathroom remodels are expensive. Just a traditional hall bathroom, you can spend sixty dollars to $70,000 really quickly on a basic remodel if you're hiring a contractor to come in and do it. It can be a little bit less and a whole lot more depending on what you're putting inside of that thing. So just think about what's heading forward, but the big picture, not just the short term, because so many times people get hung up on those little bit of details. So that's something just to just to kind of get dialed in. Now, I want to talk materials here for a minute because before we get into dealing with um, you know waterproof systems and things like that, I really want to talk about this for a minute because these are the myths that we see out there in the home improvement world. For instance, if you go into the home centers, and there's nothing wrong with the home centers, but if you go in there and buy a toilet, for instance, if you walk into your your big box store, you're automatically looking at about the lower 30% of the toilet market. So you're looking at the very bottom end of quality and, of course, the cheapest price because so much of this stuff that you see in the stores is value priced based. So that's why they have their knockoff no brand, you know, no brand toilets or the house brand. That's why you've got um, many of the big manufacturers putting their lowest price toilets in there. And to be honest, in my opinion, to get a good toilet, you need to spend $250 to $300 up to get in there. And my favorite is uh, if you're going to go out and go buy a toilet and you want to have something that's going to be reliable, I just say go grab something from Toto. You know, whether it's the Drake or one of the models like that, just grab something reliable. And here's the difference. And a lot of people go, oh, toilets, who cares? It's a toilet. It all comes down to the design of that toilet. You remember back, you know, and I, I remember this because uh, I was starting design at this point when we went from the three and a half gallon flush to the three gallon flush down to the 1.5, 1.6. Went into the, had to be under 1.6 gallons. The problem we had with that is that toilets were not designed well. They did not figure out how to do this. And so the mandate came out well before the toilet companies had really thought about what the flow float toilet could do in the U.S., and so for about a decade, we had a black market of people not wanting to change the toilet out because it didn't work. Well, in time, we figured out how to do it is, is very well down to a gallon flush, which is huge. It's a big savings, especially if you're paying for water. But the really big issue was that we would see people, you know, uh, spending, okay, I'm going to get my 1.6 gallon toilet, but I'm going to go spend $99 on the house brand. And the problem with that was that you got a toilet that just wasn't designed well. And the differences are, there's a lot of differences. One, it's the trap size. So the hole that goes down into your, into your sewer system. Two is how they've designed the water flow to really be able to move around there. Three is how they've designed and how they've put the porcelain, that glazing all the way through the trap system. So many of those cheaper toilets, they just do kind of the opening. But if you were to actually cut them open you'll see that it's raw ceramic down in there and there's like little nubs and things like that. That's the stuff that grabs toilet paper and other things. 
it starts the clogging process. So that's another one right there. Then, of course, it's just the whole design. And then, of course, the last one is the finish they put on there. The cheaper toilets have uh, much more of a, a coarser finish on the porcelain, where even the, the you get up into the Totos and some of those other ones like that, they have a micro glaze over the top of it that makes it so you don't have to worry about cleaning it as much. So literally, you can go hit it once a month, every two months with a toilet brush, because the glaze system on there is meant to be a nonstick surface. So when it comes down to it, you know, if you were to go buy a, a $100 toilet and you were to go buy a $260 Toto and put them next to each other, that Toto is going to save you money in the long run because one, it's going to use less water. You don't have to flush it twice. Two, it's going to take less cleaning. So you're not going to be in there with all the chemicals and doing that. And then three, it's going to be much more reliable because you're just putting better parts in it. So really, that's one of the things that I want you to start looking at when you're looking at fixtures, you know, and things like that. So those are important ones. So pay attention to that. Now, the next one here is is important as well. And this is looking at tile. You know, tile is not all the same. If you go into the home centers, again, you're looking at the lowest grade of tile out there for many people. That is the, again, it's their own price. So it's probably the bottom 15% of tile in the market out there is what you see at the home centers. Now, there are there are name brands there. There are not name brands there, depending on what you're looking at. And there's some great companies. But generally speaking, that is the lowest price point of these people. And the problem is, is when you're looking at tile that is lower end like that, and this is where you got to be a little bit careful. That lower end tile is going to be a little more warped. It's going to be a little more out of square. It's going to be a little bit more, you know, out of shape. And it's not going to have the, the exact same detail. So the problem is, is those are automatically harder to install because you've got stuff that's not gauged. It's not all the same. And uh, I've even seen some companies would um, throw in their, their seconds into those Home Depot lots where they would sell their higher end stuff over to the retailers. So just think about that a little bit of how that works. You know, you're buying something cheaper that's harder to work with. So maybe... If you really want that job to look nice, head over to your local flooring retailer that is a, uh, you know, where, where your tile setters go and, uh, you know, your local tile shop or your local flooring store. Now, you know, I say support local when you can, but if you're getting a better material over there for a similar price, it's something to think about because it's just going to be easier for you down the road. And you've got a little better selection too. You know, when you're in the home center, they'll have two of this, one of that. But if you walk over to your local tile store, you're going to be a little bit better off with selection wise. And then they can order it all in and you're going to get the same tile lot. It's just something to think more about. All right. When we come back, we're going to talk about the one thing you should do before you start this process. We'll do that just as soon as we're on the house. Routines. show this is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education if you want to find out more about the show here head over to around the house 
www.thepowerofonline.com. And that's where we're going to be able to help you with your latest project. And uh, we've got everything from my about 200 videos over there for Around the House Northwest, my uh, weekly television show, to the podcast, and including our premium membership on the podcast where you get to hear exclusive episodes and uh, stories like the one that's up right now. It's about my history. How did I learn all the things that I learned? What were my, uh, my easy days? What were the hard days? What got me to this point? And how did I stumble into this career here of being a home improvement expert and construction expert across the industry? Well, we've been talking about uh, bathroom remodeling secrets today here. My secrets to really get you uh, dialed in to tackle this project. And this is probably the most important one that I see out there for people that are not paying attention to their water. Before you start that remodeling process, go get a water sample and send it off and see what's going on in your water. This is a big one, guys. So many people, I go into their home as a, as a designer and I see hard water stains, mineral deposits, and it's all over everything. And we're going to put all these brand new pieces in there that in six months are going to be the exact same thing. So before you tackle that project, I want you to get a water sample and get it over to your water lab uh, or, you know, or your local company that does water filtration and see what's in your water and what you can do to control, you know, bad water conditions. Now, it could be that you've got minerals. It could be that it's that it's got stuff in it. It could be whatever it is. I want you to get that dialed in before you start the project. Because those minerals will will ruin a, a uh, steam generator. You know, they will build up in there. It's going to ruin the water heater. It ruins your plumbing. It runs, blows up the tile. It does all these things and uh, stains that brand new tub or shower pan. Just take some time. Get your water conditioned so you don't have to worry about that buildup on anything. And that way, when you do this remodel, a lot of those things like the glass is probably etched on that old project. You're going to be throwing away. And to be honest, you're not going to be able to buy glass. I mean, they have coatings for glass now, but if you've got unconditioned water, you're just going to fight it and you're, you're not going to win. So get the, spend the time, get that dialed in so that way you're good to go. Because I really want to make sure that you protect your investment. And the best way to do that is to make sure that, you know, if you got to spend a thousand or two bucks to get that water dialed in, it's going to be healthier for you. It's going to make sure that uh, your other bathrooms aren't getting any additional buildup. And it's going to help things like your water heater, your ice maker, and anything else like that in the house that's going. So um, just keep those mineral deposits under control. And uh, that's going to be a big difference on making sure that your project looks good all year long. And uh, it'll keep easy on the cleaning too. So there's a key right there. So make sure you get that taken care of. Now, when we're talking about tiling, you know, we're just talking about that. I want you to really do your research on the system that you're using. Now, a couple things, and I'm talking about the tiling system. So if you're doing a tile floor, tile walls, tile shower, whatever you're doing, spend the time to get it dialed in correctly. And this is what I'm worried about. I want to make sure that, um, you know, I tell you what, I even see this out of some of the pros. And and I'm talking about contractors that really don't know their tile game very well, is that I'll see the Frankenstein showers, as I call them. So you'll see three different systems of waterproofing, that are all mixed together because it's what somebody had in the back of their truck. And it's, well, that's how I do it. The problem is, is you don't end up having a warranty with that because you Frankensteined everything together. So I want to make sure that if you're going to be doing the water system, waterproofing system in your shower, that you're doing it correctly. If you're going to go weedy, great. 
follow the Weedy system all the way through so you get a warranty on that. If you're going to go Schluter, same thing. If you're going to go Ardex, same thing. Stick with the system and go start to finish with it. That way you've got it. And that's going to be really key right there. And that's why I think a lot of mistakes get made because they go down to their home center, they get the, the, the low quality stuff off the shelf. And again, nothing against the home centers, but really their stuff in there is okay at best. That is kind of the entry level stuff. So if you want stuff that's going to be easier to work with, if you want stuff that's going to be just more considering to be more reliable, you know, if you want more reliable, that's where you go because you're going to get the better stuff at the tile store. So pay attention to that. You'll be okay. But really follow that and then follow the best practices. Most of these guys, no matter what you're doing, if you're doing your first tile project, almost every company, and I don't know of one that doesn't, so I'll just say almost, have great videos that are made by them on YouTube. So if you're going to use Artex, they've got some great videos over there to see what's going on so you can see how to mix it up, how to work with it, how to apply it. Um, I, I tell you what, the last place I go see is some of the, the influencer uh, tile videos out there. There are some great people like that tile chick, Shannon. She knows what she's talking about. But as soon as you get into some of the more general handyman type stuff, you're going to see the worst practices out there. So. Uh, if you're going to be working on a YouTube video to help guide you through the tile setting process, look for one that is made by a manufacturer or a manufacturer's representative or somebody that is a tile expert in the field. So that is the place to go find it. You'll be better off. You'll be a lot happier and it's going to be a much better system. So make sure you take your time and it's going to work out for you, but just slow down study this because there are so many times, I mean, we had mistakes in my shower here. I had all the reps here and we caught other companies mistakes in their, in their, um, instructions for installation. Like we were, I had William over here with Ardex. He was helping me on my project and one of the manufacturers, their new specs came out were quite frankly wrong. They missed a step where they should have used a primer on the back of a material before we put the the, the um, thin set on it to hang it. Oh my gosh, happy we caught that because we could have had a failure and I was following the directions. So even at that, when I had a room full of, of experts, mistakes happen. So you want to be able to get, you know, the best information you can and uh, don't fall victim to um, some of the influencers out there. Because I tell you what, I can watch those videos and go, wow, there's going to be a lot of people that follow this putting in bad information. And then they're going to base their project on it. And then that's going to fail. And that's going to be another issue. So take the time, study it, make sure you understand it. When in doubt, get a hold of the rep in your area and they will help you. You'd be shocked at how much these people um, want to help to make sure that everyone has a good experience. So spend the time, plan it out, and you're going to have a better project when it's all said and done. And then the other thing is make sure that you're using the right material compatibility wise. I mean, we in the 90s and 2000s when I was designing, we did a lot of travertine, you know, showers because that was the hot thing. And I tell you what, some of that travertine would get beat up and it was beautiful in its day. Don't get me wrong, but the material was so soft. It actually completely blew through from the shower, high pressure water. It actually, um, you know, seven to 10 years later, we would see where the shower was hitting the wall because that's where they had their shower arm hitting all the time. 
and the smaller showers, it was removing the material off of that. So it was literally washing away the tile and it was credit card thickness when they had to be pulled out seven to 10 years later. So make sure you're using harder materials, the porcelains, those kind of things in the shower. Marbles are great. They look beautiful, but they are a nightmare to uh, maintain in a bathroom. So uh, I would strongly go large format uh, tile, large format porcelain walls. I did porcelain in my shower. The last one I did here, uh, that was using the high performance slab porcelain that you would see for countertops. And so I just have caulking seams in the corner. And that just means that I have a very nice waterproof system there. And uh, a little bit more money, but not having grouts on the shower walls is sure nice. And uh, having that uh, pattern with the marble look to it really made a difference in that bathroom to really give it an elevated look. Then, of course, what did I do? I grain matched on the slab as well. So the grain goes around the corners with a nice book match. So these are all things that you can plan ahead and make for a great project. All right, well, let's finish up this subject when we come back. As soon as Around the House returns, don't go anywhere. Welcome to the Around the House show. This is where we help you get the most out of your home through information and education. Thanks for joining us today. If you want to find out more about the show, head over to aroundthehouseonline.com. And then you can find our video series as well over there for the Around the House Northwest television show, which you can stream anywhere in North America. You can catch it. uh, Just go to uh, kptv.com and you can see uh, the TV show there. Just look for the Around the House banner or you can catch it on Amazon. Uh, Hulu and YouTube, all through KPTV Fox 12, so you can find it over there. We've been talking about bathroom remodeling and my secrets to help um, to help save you money and get this project organized. And then this last segment, I wanted to get into detail on waterproofing and making sure that you've got that dialed in. Because if you're doing tile for a shower or a tub shower or even a steam shower or a heated tile floor, these are things that you should be paying attention to. And uh, doing this right, it's going to save you a ton of money because if it's wrong, you got to start over and throw it all away, which never is good. So let's talk about a difference here between uh, a regular shower and a steam shower. Now, steam showers have been all the range, rage because you can sit in there and especially in the wintertime, it's nice. If you've got that common cold or something worse floating around, you can jump in there and it's a sealed up room where you're taking your shower, hit the go button. And you've got steam in a few minutes. And so the problem is, though, and this is where you have to be really careful, is that the one nice thing with steam showers is that you have steam. But many times the waterproofing methods you see out there are waterproof, but not vaporproof. And so really the only system out there that I know that is um, certified for vapor is the... um, Weedy Vapor 85 system, and that vapor system is meant for steam showers, and that's exactly what I did for mine. So the problem is, is if you've got a steam shower, you can have problems if you just put up your hardy backer and you put up your, you throw that up there, and then all of a sudden you put your tile up without doing any waterproofing, 
you can get steam going through that, or you can get condensation on the back of the wall because of the temperature difference between there. So you have a lot of different things that can go on. So what I did for mine is that I did two things. One, I put in the uh, Armada's drying system for the shower, but I insulated my walls with rock wool for sound and for heat. And then I turned around and put up my, uh, my Weedy Vapor 85, and that's a foam board as well. So that has some insulating properties to it as well. And then by the time we got everything up, we were good to go. And then, of course, we had our slab, so I didn't have anything that's, you know, coming through that way. But that's a really good way to do it. Um, if you're just doing Red Guard in a shower system, I don't recommend that because, again, we're running into those kind of problems where you want it to be 100% or as close as you can to, to being steamproof or vapor-proof. You don't want it where vapors can go through there because vapor... We'll go through stuff that's waterproof pretty easily if you're not careful. So again, look for that vapor proof. That's what you want to be using. So let's take a second here and talk about plumbing fixtures. And I'm talking about the, the valve and stuff for the shower or tub shower and your faucet. Now, to me, those two systems have to match each other for it to look correct in that bathroom that I want to see those be a similar or same series so it makes sense. And then second of all, I'm really concerned about what we're going to be using, you know, in the shower or tub shower system, because you want to put in something really nice. This is not where you want to buy the online valving, because if you have to go in and replumb that in three or four years, because you've got a cheap system, I would stay way away from that. This is where you want to go with your name brand, lifetime warranty, you know, get the stuff that's right in there so you could put it in there. And if you need a part in 20 years, you can get a part in 20 years. So make sure you get the right system. And, you know, this is not where you get the knockoff stuff that you get off of uh, the online sales. So make sure, one, you're buying from your local retailer that is your local plumbing wholesaler. That's the best place to get these things. And traditionally, they're a little higher quality than what you see in the home centers. So take the time on that. And then while you're at it in that wall, make sure you spend some time getting it dialed in and making sure that if you've got rotten pipes or you've got bad electrical, make sure that before you button up that whole system that you've got it dialed in. You know, I like to use um, copper when it's coming out of the wall, for instance, for the uh, the shower arm. I like to go to metal there. Um, I like doing, um, and depending on building code in your area, I always follow building code, but I do like to see that tub shower rough out to be copper because it's just more durable. And so there's places that, I, you know, using packs is great, but I do like to see anytime there's a stub out, you've got some metal in there locked in. So, you know, you've got that good because last thing you need to do is have that moving around. So anytime that uh, I come through a wall for a valve, I like to go to, to copper if I can. So I've got something there to, to do that. So that can be a mix of sweat and copper to, um, to using PEX expansion fittings. But here's the thing, no matter what. Do not use any shark bites or push to connect fittings inside the wall. Uh, that's just a recipe for disaster. It could be a leak. Use your permanent fittings behind the wall that are meant to be there. So uh, I don't like using anything that's got a gasket, anything like that, that uh, has an O-ring that could blow up down the road. So just, you know, use the right connectors. And when in doubt, if you've got a system on that shower wall where you're putting it in there, if you need access, sometimes if it's in the back of a closet or something like that, it's great. Put a big access panel in behind it so you can work on it. Hidden access panels are a great way to, to give access to things that you don't. 
maybe need to. You know, many times in the shower, you've got a bedroom or you've got a closet or there or a master closet. If you can use something that's behind the wall in there so you can get in there to work on it or even just inspect it to make sure nothing's leaking, that's a great day. So uh, using access panels wherever you can that are hidden in other rooms or even underneath, that could be stuff that's just brilliant. So uh, think about accessing it when you're getting in there. If you're putting in a jetted tub, make sure that you've got an access panel that if that motor quits or the pump quits, that you can get in there and change it out. And the more you can do to be innovative by coming through the room next door or something like that, the better off you are. I think it's just brilliant to go that way. And then you're not having to worry about dealing with a tile pattern or a wall pattern. A little planning goes a long way. So let those things be your friends. If you need to have them in there, it's an easy way to get to work and not have to be doing uh, drywall repairs later. So that's a great snap close system. And uh, if you need access into it, it's a good way to do it without having to cover it up and hope to get back into it one day. Now, guys, one of the last tips I've got for you in this subject of bathrooms is considering the design of the shower. And this is a big one. And this is something that I've noticed over the years has been a big issue. A lot of people like to do these wet rooms where maybe the tub, the toilet and the shower are all one big space. And you walk into the room and part of that shower is just open. Now, here's the problem with this because there's no door. It makes for a cold shower feeling. So if you're going to do that whole wet space, make sure that you do a heated tile floor, heated tile bench, that kind of stuff that's going to make it seem more comfortable. And as well as that room gets really cold, especially if you have a high ceiling in there. So many times I'll have somebody do like a five foot by four foot shower. That's a big master bath shower in there. I don't want a door on it or it's open to the air up above because it's a vault or something like that. Be very careful of that because now you're stuck having to stand under the water at all times to, and you stand away from the water real quick to grab some soap or something and you're instantly cold. So most of the people, like 90% of the people that I've said, hey, we're going to do this and we're not going to put the door on, almost always within a year they put the door on. And so really think about creating a warm space for you to shower like a steam shower would versus an open space that's cold. And then what happens is, is that space gets a lot, um, you know, it just gets cold in there and it's not comfortable. So think about that as well as just kind of the overall design of how this is going to work. Do you want to have to clean around the base of the tub and get the mold and mildew around there because you've got it in the shower or vice versa with the toilet? And many times you can't have an electric outlet in there for a bidet toilet seat. So that could be an issue. So really think about that. It's kind of like the myth of putting the chandelier over the top of the bathtub. In most cases, because most bathrooms don't have a high enough ceiling, you can't do that because if you think about this, guys, if you stand in that bathtub and you can touch the light, that could be the death of you via electrocution. So you don't want that. So many times I'll have clients bring in that Pinterest you know, picture and go, no, can't do it. Many times people have added that light fixture after the fact, after the final inspection, because most home inspectors won't allow you to do it. And in states where you actually allow your home insurance person to go walking through, that can be another issue as well. So be very careful of that. So uh, watch out for those things that are kind of the gotchas. And that's going to be some of those bathroom designs that are the entire wet room. That can be an issue as well as if you have uh, you know, a floor vent or something like that, you might have to close that up. So think about all these different things and how they're going to fit into the plan 
And no matter what, if you're going to hire somebody, have a good contract that shows exactly what's going to happen and make sure that you check to make sure they're licensed, sponsored, insured, and their tile setters know what they're doing. And if they can be, CTI certified. So let's see if we can get something like that. Look for that certification. And that's the end of our one of Around the House. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Eric G from Around the House. Are you planning a decking or siding project this year? If you are, you've got to check out my friends at Millboard. Millboard is a completely different kind of composite decking and cladding that enhances outdoor spaces with enduring distinction. Hand molded from the finest oak, it realistically mimics the natural grain and color of premium hardwood. If you're looking for something that doesn't look like plastic and instead real wood, check out millboard.com. Make sure and check out that interview we did just a few weeks back. That's millboard.com.